Well, good morning again. We are going to be uh, back in Matthew chapter 11 this morning. Uh, finishing up, maybe, what we uh, began last week. Now today, thanks Tom, today we're going to be looking at, um, scooch this back a little bit because otherwise I'm going to kick it. No kicking the props. Today we're going to be talking about this, uh, this idea that Jesus presents, and it's this idea of revelation. Not revelation as in the book of, although uh, perhaps uh, this message and this idea will help us understand that a little better, but this idea of how things are made known to us as believers. Now, before I talk too much, let's read our passage. We're going to begin, this is Matthew chapter 11, we're going to start at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now our passage continues, but we're going to stop there for right now. So we have this passage Jesus has been teaching. Uh, Again, we were earlier in Matthew chapter 11 last week, talking about the children in the marketplace. Uh, Jesus as you probably know, he often and almost, its even more than often, he spoke in parables, he spoke in metaphors, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons is that he spoke in such a way that those who listened had to rely on something outside of themselves. He spoke in such a way that only those who were seeking truly after him and after his father could understand and would be able to understand. And even the disciples at times didn't understand the things that Jesus was saying at first, but later on they did. The question, of course, then being, well, how did they understand Later, Or how is it that some people understood him so clearly and others had no idea? And I believe that Jesus gives us not just a clue, but a, a concise and full explanation of that in this passage. So what we have is, so we, we start in verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus declared. Now, what we need to understand about this, uh, and I went on a, like, hour and a half rabbit hole of of analysis and and study and different things that took me all over the place and we won't get into it now but if you want to know the background for this I'd be happy to share it with you there's a little bit of disagreement about that first phrase essentially about how much we're supposed to apply this teaching to the passage before it the general consensus at least 
from my understanding and my study, is that this passage is to be viewed more generally. It is not only talking about the teachings that came before it, that Jesus is here speaking a a general analysis, an overview of his entire ministry and all of the people he comes in contact with. So Jesus is telling us through his prayer to the Father, and he's again saying, here is what is going on. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now let's stop right there. Because that verse can cause us some problems because most of the time in church today, we don't have little children up here preaching, right? Now Emma has been begging to preach for a couple months now, and, uh, and hopefully in the next couple weeks, she's going to come up and help with some scripture reading. Uh, and she's really excited about that. But for the most part, we don't allow children up here to preach. And if we were to take this verse literally, that would, of course, be a major problem. Because basically every sermon you've ever heard would be by someone like me, who is not a child, who is an adult, someone who has been to school and or seminary or whatever that looked like and studied and has a good bit of understanding and a good bit of learning, who has at least a bit of wisdom to their name, and we would be doing things backwards. Likewise, the New Testament was not written by little children. All of the uh, the, the teachings that we have when we read all of the epistles, especially the works of, you know, of Paul and, and Peter and all of these, Luke in, in reading the book of Acts, all of those were written by adults, which would mean that our entire New Testament was written by people that didn't actually understand what Jesus was talking about. So we have to understand these verses to be a bit of a metaphor. Now, there's a, whole other, there's a whole other sermon in what does it mean to come to the Father as a child, and that's not the sermon for today. May, we, may, we may push this series out one more and add a third message on, on that. But today, what we need to understand is that Jesus here is speaking to the general population about the general population and people that hear him. He's speaking about, about children not as in age, but in attitude and in kind of the atmosphere of their relationship with, with God the Father. Um, and then he gets to this, and, and it's, it, it's not a, a huge teaching, it's not a lot of words, but I believe it's very significant for us. Because what he, the, the language that Jesus uses, when he talks about those who get it versus those who don't get it, he doesn't talk about anything that has to do with our work. He uses the word revealed, and he uses the word in opposition to it, hidden. So we have two groups, and thankfully there are only two choices in this message and in this passage. There's two groups, and in every, maybe not in our entire lives, but even in every situation in our lives, we fall into one of these two groups. That we can fall into this group that is the, the learned and the educated and the wise, those who are trusting in their own understanding, or we can fall into this group that comes to God as a child in humility. And to one of those groups, 
his word, his truth, his understanding is hidden. And to the other, it is revealed. And so I have behind me here something that is hidden. And if you go back and look at the Greek, there's nothing, there's nothing amazing or revolutionary or mind-blowing in the Greek. When, when Jesus is talking about hidden and revealed, it's a great translation. It just means covered. The literal definition, definition of these words is covered, much like whatever is up here on stage is covered right now. And ultimately, that's what Jesus is talking about, is some things to some people have a covering over them, right? And, and, and maybe when I pull this sheet down, there's going to be just a poster with words, and those words are going to be in a foreign language that none of us read, right? I could take this, this sheet down, and there could be a, a poster that is in Latin. The last 30 seconds have been me trying to find a language that probably almost no one speaks. Latin was as good as I can. Does anybody speak Latin? Oh, good. I, ah, we have a little bit. All right, that's fine. Mandarin, that would probably be another not as likely. But this could be written in a language that you didn't understand. And you understand that that's a different concept, right? That if I wrote a sign in a different language and said, I need you to understand this, that you would be able to see it, you would encounter all of the, the characters and all of the punctuation and, and all of that, but you just wouldn't be able to comprehend it. You didn't speak the language. But that's not what Jesus says here. The words he uses are covered and uncovered. And so right now, whatever is behind this, you don't have even the opportunity, really. The reason you can't interact with whatever's back here, whether it's writing, whether it's images, whether it's an object that you need to do something with, right? There could be, there could be a very large, thin crust pizza in a box. Vertically, obviously not the ideal way to store a pizza, but it could be a pizza box, in which case, especially if I preach too long, everyone's going to want to come up and eat the pizza because you're going to be hungry. right? You, will, you don't have the opportunity to interact with, in that case, eat the pizza because it's covered. You can't access it. You can't get to it. And what we find in our lives is that that's the way a lot of things work. Sometimes it's understanding in a situation seeing the way things are. Sometimes it's clarity in decision-making. A lot of times, and we'll get some examples of this throughout this message, it is directly in the understanding of God's Word, which I think is the primary application. And what this tells us is, it's not about us. Because if you're not allowed on stage... There's nothing you can do to remove this. That if this was a poster written in a different language, you could pull up Google Translate on your phone and take a picture, and Google Translate would scan the images, or you could go get a dictionary of that language and start looking up the words, and out of your own power, out of your own intelligence, out of your own resource, your phone that you've purchased and carry with you, your Mandarin dictionary that I know you all keep in your back pocket, all right, that's fine. Maybe you all really do 
Keep a Mandarin dictionary in your back pocket. Out of your own resource, you could begin to understand, to interact with. However, for you sitting here right now, who are not allowed to come up here and remove the cover, I'm responsible for doing that. There's nothing that you can do but patiently wait. And that is, at least for me, exactly what happens when I study the Scripture. And ultimately, not only is this a message about the truth of God's Word, it's also a bit of a glimpse into what happens when I write my sermons. And this is the best way I can describe what happens when I am studying a passage of Scripture. That for me... And I, I, someone actually came up to me after service last week and said the same thing that is true for them before I said anything about this message. For me, if you look at the timeline of when I begin studying a passage and when I preach it or write about it or just move on to the next passage, if you look at the understanding, right, if, you chart, if you're a visual person, if you charted that out, it would not be a steady line. My understanding, my comprehension of a passage in the truth of God's word is not linear. It does not steadily increase. It comes in waves and jumps. That I will sit and, and read a passage. I spend more time studying the word of God, just staring out the window than doing anything else. And I, I read commentaries, and I read Bible dictionaries, and I look up Greek words, and I do all those things, but I spend more time just looking out the window, quieting my mind, and waiting for the curtain to fall. And then my wife usually hears about it. If she's, my old office was in our home, so I would be in my, in my pastor's study, and it was right off our kitchen uh, which was not so great for some, for some things, but it was great because I would eventually often yell out to Rachel, I've got it. And, that, and then she'd come in and say, well, what are you going to say? What are you going to preach about? And I'd say, I have no idea, but I've got it. And she would get really confused and frustrated by that. I'd say, well, you said you had it, but you won't tell me anything about it. And this is, this is the image. So maybe you've had the same thing, that you've experienced this, that you've been reading through the text. The person I talked to last week said that she'll, she, she just came up to me and started talking and said, you know, sometimes when I'm reading God's word, I just don't get it. And then all of a sudden, I understand it, and I hit myself in the head and say, oh, you dummy, why didn't you get that before? And that's what it feels like. But we want to be careful it's okay if that criticism is a joke, but we want to be careful about condemning ourselves for being, because I think we all share that sentiment often, about how critical we are of ourselves for not seeing what has not yet been uncovered. Because all those other resources are great, and I learn lots of things from commentaries and articles and other pastors and other sermons, but, but ultimately, the most powerful truths and sometimes it's just the most powerful applications of what do I do with this passage. They come from this holy, spirit-filled uncovering, the dropping of the veil that is before our eyes so that we can plainly see. This dropping of the veil, which assures us that it is not coming from us. Because if it was coming from my understanding, 
There would be so many more times where I just inched closer and closer and closer to meaning. And perhaps every now and then I would have the situation where I just had this aha moment, this stroke of brilliance where I figured out the answer and I knew how to apply it. But that's not the exception. It is very much the rule. And is almost always how God speaks to me. And not just in reading of the text, in many other areas as well. I don't know what to do in a situation. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I have absolutely no idea. I know exactly what I meant to do in this situation. Where we get into trouble is when we get impatient and we try to start applying what is behind the curtain before we know what's behind the curtain. And so, and and this is ultimately what was happening in Judaism in Jesus' day, that there was this lack of understanding and they were applying whatever it was that they could understand about God's will and purpose and the scriptures. They were applying whatever they could about all of those teachings and laws and rules, but they didn't, they really didn't get it. And so if I asked you and assigned some degree of risk to it, I don't know what that would be, but if I asked you right now to write down on a piece of paper, say, when I, when I pull this curtain down, whatever's up here is going to be yours. If I said, if I said, Dave, when I pull this curtain down, whatever's up here is going to be yours, but you have to write down a piece, on a piece of paper exactly what you're going to do with it, and you have to prepare for that, and you have to get ready for that, and, and, and give me all of the details of what you're going to do with whatever is up here. And you have to stick to it for the rest of your life. If Dave is smart, he's going to be really hesitant to do that, Right? Because he could say, I think, I think he was onto something with that pizza idea. And it's just crazy enough to put a pizza up there sideways. That I, and he goes and he gets a fork and a knife. And he, he's all ready to eat it. And then it's a newspaper. And I say, well, the deal, that was the deal. So all this afternoon, we're all going to sit around and we're going to sit and watch Dave eat this newspaper. Right? He would be hesitant to do that. Likewise... Likewise, if you said, you know what, I think it's a bath mat. This is about, it's a little, pretty big for a bath mat, but it's bath mat or maybe entryway mat size. And Dave says, I think that's an entryway mat. And so I'm going to take it and I'm going to put it in my house right in front of my front door because I bet it's really nice because Pastor Eddie's got great taste. He said, I'm going to put it right in front of my front door so everybody can walk across it and see how wonderful it is every time they come into my house. And then it was the pizza. And for the rest of their lives, every time you go to the Dobson's house, you step on five-year-old pizza. This is a really silly example. However, it demonstrates the absurdity of trying to figure out what to do with something until we actually understand what it is. So we come to God's word, we begin to read, we begin to understand, and then 
we just wait. I just wait. Sometimes it doesn't take long. Sometimes it's 30 seconds. Those are great days. And sometimes it's days or weeks. But eventually what happens is a little something like this. The veil drops. I don't know if you can see that. Let me move this. Now, if I immediately were to cover this up again, I know you're all sad. Who can tell me something about what was up here? Haley? It's a painting made by Beth. It is a painting, and it was made by Beth. <laughs> what else? Do we have any other details that anyone can remember about it? It was the ocean, water, waves, mostly blue. How many people can tell me how many rocks were painted on the painting? Two, maybe three, four, or five, or ten, or seven. So I hear a hundred. You don't have all those details yet, do you? Right? But you know it's a painting, you know it's the ocean. You see, the reason I did this is just to show you what it feels like for me when I tell my wife that I have my sermon and that she asks me for details about it. Now, I don't know. I've got this picture, but I haven't quite spent enough time studying it. Now, I am aware that we are going beyond what Jesus explicitly says in our passage here, right? I'm aware of that. I'm aware that Jesus just says the words hidden and revelation. And all of this is coming from generally what we read in the rest of Scripture as well as church tradition and experience, right? And I, I'm aware of that, and I will own that. However... I believe these are universal truths. I'll cover this back up, because I know you all want to look at it more. We're counting rocks now, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't count the rocks. Yeah. Well, maybe they're all connected under the water. It's just one big rock. The point is, you knew in a moment that it was a painting, that it was not meant to be eaten after church, <laughs> that it was not meant, likewise, it was not meant to be a doormat in your house. This is meant to be hung displayed, and enjoyed. In a moment, you went from having no idea what the purpose and application was to knowing exactly what it was used for, what its identity was. However, and this is the reason I chose a painting for this illustration, you can look at a painting for years and still gain insight and appreciation, understanding of of what it is, right? There are, there are people who study art, and they study the, the great artists of all time, and they will look at the same painting over and over and over for years to fully comprehend it. And I can't think of a better analogy for what it means to study God's Word. That there's never a time, there's never been a time in my life where I receive any sort of uncovering where God just drops that veil and I say, oh, I understand now what I'm supposed to be looking at in this passage. I understand what part of my life I'm meant to apply this to. And I understand the, the themes or the application or all of those things that I've known absolutely everything about it. I've known every detail, that everything within me has been healed and fixed. That is never, that's, that's never 
happened. What it tells us is, if we are trusting in ourselves, if we are, if we are finding ourselves in the same place as the Pharisees and the religious leaders and those who rejected Jesus' message, we don't even get to the point where the veil is dropped. We don't even see clearly what the message and what the heart of God is. Let alone begin this process of a lifetime of appreciation and growth and understanding and knowledge and the details of what God is calling us to. So the first application of this, the best application, I believe, is in our time in the Word. And the good news about this is that the most important aspect of Bible study, the most significant ingredient of effective Bible study is not education, it's not intelligence or IQ, it's the revelation that comes from God when we are ready and open to it. That doesn't mean that education isn't important. That doesn't mean that other resources aren't important. Those have more to do with the context. Those have a lot more to do with where you're sharing the message. If I write a sermon with one kind of okay commentary versus 10 really good commentaries, it will most likely be a better sermon, right? I will have better insights to share, better background information. But as far as God speaking to you in your life, it's not about that. Because he will use whatever tools you bring him. And as a pastor, I am responsible for continuously improving myself, investing in myself, continuously working to bring God the best tools I possibly can for him to use and work through me as I preach. That's a whole different discussion. But if I have, I I could spend $100,000 on commentaries and journals and biblical atlases. I could spend hundred unlimited amounts of money. And if I have all of that, but I'm not open to the revelation, to the revealing, to the dropping of the curtain, I might be able to preach incredibly interesting speeches, but I may never preach a sermon again. And I'm personally pretty picky about the word sermon. I don't practice sermons. I might practice telling a story I'm going to tell in a sermon. I, which I don't even usually do that, I, I may practice a explaining an idea before a sermon, but I have never once practiced a sermon. I can't do it. Because for me, the sermon is not about I get knowledge and I give it to you. A sermon is just God speaking, 
using my mouth and your ears. And if you don't hear it, it's not a sermon. That's just me talking. So when I was coming here, after I'd done all of my interviews and we, we said yes and I came and we had the dinner on Saturday night and I was preaching on Sunday morning and obviously it's a very important Sunday for all of us. As I was um, it, it also in a place where I hadn't been preaching regularly for a bit and I was a little, perhaps, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but if I was ever going to practice a sermon or practice for a sermon, that would have been the week. And so what we did is we called a bunch of our friends. We had them come over to our house Friday night, right? So Saturday night I was here. Sunday morning I preached here. On Friday night, we had over five or six friends of ours, and we had a church service in our house. And we had a little bit of worship, and then I preached. I wasn't practicing. I was preaching to those people in that moment. And that was the only way I could do it. Because it's not about me. It's not about my understanding or my intellect or my knowledge or it's not about being a talented public speaker. It's not about being engaging. It's not those are all those are all tools. But at the heart of it at the heart of all of that is just this simple concept, which is available to every single spirit-filled believer. Every person who trusts God and opens their, themselves up to hearing. If you go to the Word of God saying, I'm not going to be able to understand this, if you go to the Word of God saying, I don't have a degree in theology, I don't I, don't, I haven't taken the classes, I don't have the understanding, I don't know the background. If you go to the Word of God saying, I, was, I did terribly in school generally, I can barely read, I, if you go saying any of those things, you're already too focused on your own gifts and abilities. You're in the same place as a pastor who stands up to preach and just shares exclusively out of his own knowledge and understanding. So come to the Word of God with whatever you have. Maybe you know five words in the English language and all you have is an English Bible. And say, God, I know five words. Two of them are fast food items. But reveal something to me. And maybe that person in that hypothetical scenario, one of those three remaining non-cheeseburger words is the word love. And they begin to be amazed by how often they see that one of three words they know. And they are moved because they didn't look at the text and say, I only know three words in English. How can I understand this book that people have been arguing about for, for millennia? They just say, God, I know three words. Use those to, te to tell me a story. Use those three words to speak to my heart. 
Are you that open when you come to the text? Are you that open to receive, to watch the veil drop? And again, most of my education, when it comes to preaching, most of my education has more to do with not saying wrong things than saying right things. It's the responsibility of the pulpit. Most of what I use my education for when it comes to preaching is in not saying the wrong things. Not making those mistakes. Most of the positive things I say and do are just revelation. Not from me. I stared at it I stared at the book for eight hours before I saw it. It was just a veil dropping and obedience. And that can happen in your life as well. I don't have a monopoly on biblical understanding. Nor do I have any desire to. So would you be that open to God revealing his word to you? That he drops that veil and shows you things you never thought you would see and understand. And that is where life change happens. That's where growth happens. And that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. And I look forward to hearing what you see. I look forward to some of you having the opportunity to share that from this platform or in your small groups and Bible studies and every other gathering that we have. The worship team is going to come. We're going to, in just a moment, gather for communion. One wonderful example in the text of an image that Jesus gave the disciples that did not become clear until much later, until a covering was dropped. I don't know what God needs to reveal to you this morning about circumstances in your life, about something in his word, about a doubt or a fear that you have, but my prayer is and will be in just a moment that this is a time of revelation for all of us. And maybe not even something that you have words for yet. Sometimes it, we just need to look for a little while. We just need to experience, we need to sit in that revelation before we even can fully comprehend what it is that we're looking at it. But I pray that that begins in you this morning. So I'm going to pray to close the message, and I'll invite you to come and take a cup and take the bread, return to your seats, and we'll eat and drink together. Father, we are...
There are people whose eyesight is clouded. Father, we are a people that have difficulty understanding. We are often slow to listen. We are slow to hear. We are often discouraged and dismayed and overwhelmed. But Lord, I pray this morning that we all are able to breathe and let that go. To let go of the idea that we have to figure it all out on our own, which of course we are incapable of. All of us, if we had to come to your word and determine the truths of life in the universe with absolute certainty, absolute If I get this wrong, far, far more than far more than a pizza on the floor. If I get this wrong, I'm going to parent wrong. If I get this wrong, I'm going to treat my spouse wrong. If I get this wrong, I'm going to to treat others wrong. If I don't understand this properly, God, I, I'm going to falsely represent you. And under that pressure, Lord, I believe any of us would buckle. But we are not here to figure it out on our own. We are here to bring our gifts and our understanding, to lay them at your feet and say, Lord, do with these what you will and reveal yourself to us. Make plain what is hidden and what is veiled Let us see clearly that which was hidden in your word and in the circumstances around us. As we come to your table, Lord, as we remember your sacrifice and your life, may this physical and tangible reminder of what you did for us on the cross also be a reminder that in all things it is you who work to create good within us. And may we be reminded that it is through your power, your strength, and your understanding that we live. Amen.